Happy August, listeners. I am Brooke Warner, and I am here with Grant Faulkner, as always. And I think I can speak for a lot of folks when I say that it feels like we're holding our collective breath here as we look toward an uncertain fall. And then we're taking a break during the month of August, but we're seeing this season through by revisiting our favorite episodes from the past. Yeah, that's right, Brooke. And and I like just the uh, theme of revisiting in general as a way to to sort of relearn and remind yourself of what was good. And it was super fun to go back and re-listen to some of those interviews and really amazing to remember all the nuggets of insight and wisdom our guests have offered up. So we're rolling out our A plus August, partnering up uh, some of the best of the best by genre. Yeah, I love that we're doing this because it also gives our listeners an opportunity to think about genre generally, what you're writing, of course. And I hope also that this podcast inspires reading. And I'm so immersed in the land of memoir. And then if I'm not reading memoir, I'm reading fiction. And so many of our guests have prompted me to read outside my lanes. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I most appreciate about doing this podcast is how we're exposed to other genres, processes, ways of thinking about writing. You know, it makes me not just a better writer, but a better person. And perhaps that's what we should be striving for, actually, as we enter into our new fourth season together on Right Minded. I love that idea, Grant. Better readers, better humans. And better extraterrestrials. That's a bumper (laughs) sticker, Brooke. Right-minded, better readers, better humans, better extraterrestrials. Totally. Yes, on the bumper stickers. And so while we go get those printed up, enjoy your August and enjoy today's mashup A-plus August episode. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to introduce Mateo Ascarapur, whose work aims to empower people of color to seize opportunities for advancement, no matter the obstacle. He was a 2018 Rhode Island Writers' Colony writer-in-residence, and his writing has appeared in Entrepreneur, Lit Hub, Catapult, The Rumpus, Medium, and Elsewhere. And now he has a new novel out called Black Buck. He lives in Brooklyn. Welcome, Mateo. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, to start, since you've just published your debut novel, I'd like to get a better sense of you as a writer. I read that in August of 2016, you quit your job, a bold move to become a writer, and you wrote a couple of unpublished novels before finding your way to writing Black Buck. Can you tell us about your your mindset of obviously, you know, just plunging in and going for broke and dealing with rejection and then finding your topic and style with Black Buck? Most definitely. So a lot of it, you know, it, it comes from the world that I had left. Um, I started out in sales, not knowing what I was doing. Um, I was tapped to start a sales team at a startup um, from the CEO after he was told uh, from an investor who I'd spoken with at a happy hour that I may be a good person, you know, to start the sales team with. So over, you know, a handful of years um, of working at this company and rising up and, and, learning how to sell and then teaching so many other people how to, um, I, I gained a handful of skills that fortunately translated to being a writer. You know, a few such as stamina, um, just having stamina to, to write a novel, right? And, mm-hmm. and write a couple more, you know, when the first didn't work. Perseverance and looking at failure or rejection just as a means to an end and trying not to take it too personally. Mustering a lot of energy for the task at hand and also in interactions with people, uh, I was fortunate enough to discover that my energy was one of my biggest assets, just in life in general and in sales. So I was trying to translate that 
into the act of writing as well. So when the first manuscript didn't go anywhere, you know, I didn't get an agent. I didn't um, get a book deal. And then the same thing, you know, happened with the second, no agent, no book deal. I, I did begin to doubt, you know, at least for a couple of weeks. So the reserve of energy and confidence that I had out the gates coming from this world of sales where I had people, you know, who, who I impacted positively, who um, in some ways looked up to me. You know, I was, I, res I was respected throughout the sales community in New York City, um, at least with the people I met with. You know, the confidence that I had from that moment when I quit my job to flash forward November 2018 had dramatically decreased. And I was asking myself, you know, who did I think I was? that I could write a book. I don't have uh, an MFA and I don't have any formal training. Who did I think I was who could make this pivot? And it was at that low point that uh, I read Stephen King's On Writing. And his book just had a lot of no-nonsense, straightforward advice about writing. It was uh, partially autobiographical about his own, his own start. And that just you know, reinvigorated me at, at a time when I needed it most. So a couple of months later, you know, January uh, 2018 is when I began Black Buck and uh, went from there. Hmm. That's great, Mateo. I, I read that there's nothing about writing that doesn't make you happy. And I don't think I've ever heard a writer say that before because writers love to talk about what makes them miserable about writing. <laughs> so what's your secret? Why does writing make you so happy? And do you think a happy state of being has affected your prose? Yeah, so when I when that was published, I said, "Oh no, these writers are gonna hate me. They're gonna think that I'm lying." Right? <laughs> I'm already coming from this sales background, writing about a sales guy. I'm sure that people perceive me as just some sales guy, you know, talking BS here and there. But to be honest, right? I just from just from the first part of our discussion, I worked so hard to get into the industry. Um, and granted, right, it wasn't like it took five years or 10 years or 20 years as it takes some people. And, and I'm, I'm understanding that now, like the, the relative speed with which things happened. But I still worked so hard over those few years that when I finally got into this space, I'm just grateful, you know, and that doesn't mean that I don't experience lows, but I'm just extremely grateful. And that gratitude diffuses my work. So when I come to the page, even before I had a book deal or an agent, I turned to it because I was disillusioned with the world of startups and sales and writing was a form of salvation, especially writing fiction. And if I can like psychoanalyze myself, I think because uh, I was able to control a world that was happening, right? When, when I felt like my world was, especially my identity, I was disassociating from being the sales guy, the startup guy. So I think that that was super shaky. So I was looking for control, but it also, it just comes down to, the simple fact for me that when I'm writing, I forget how many hours have passed. You know, I, I'm just embedded in this world. I'm engaging with the act of creation and just feel so pure that I'm happy. Now, when I'm, when I'm done with a writing session, I might have doubts and anxieties and things like that. But when it's just me and a blank Word document or me and a story that's progressing, I do experience I don't know if I want to say bliss, that might sound over the top, but, but genuine happiness. 
Mateo, I want to write with you someday and, and just kind of get those vibes of bliss coming my way. I need to do it alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, before writing Black Buck, I read that you realized you had been avoiding writing about some of the themes closest to your life, race, sales, and startups, and that you, you realized you wanted to also help other people of color. And I, I think writers so often have a tough time identifying their subject or they, they run away from it consciously or unconsciously. So I was wondering if you could tell us how that realization manifested itself with you. Yeah, and thanks for asking because those, those first two manuscripts or books that I wrote, right, they did deal with race, but uh, I wasn't interrogating myself and the world deeply enough. So I just wasn't able to, to do what, what I had wanted to do with those first two books. So by the time um, I had reached that creative rock bottom and I had read on writing by Stephen King, I was, I was just wondering, you know, what are, I don't even know if I was conscious about it. It may have just popped into my mind, but I think that I was wondering what is something that I could write that would feel extremely true that would uh, allow me to help um, the people that I want to serve with it and that would be true to the times that we're living in. So the idea then popped in, and this is a somewhat far cry from what Black Book became, but the initial idea I had was to write this story about elite black salespeople who became domestic terrorists and were just blowing up a bunch of buildings. Like that was my first idea. And I was getting so excited. I was like, oh, it's gonna be like Fight Club, it's gonna be like this, that, and the other. But a month or two later, when I sat down to write the book, the idea was refined. My goals were clearer. Um, and even though I didn't know where the book was going to go at all, from the first page, I knew about the big twist, but I didn't know how it was going to get there. I didn't know which characters were going to emerge. I didn't know what the exact environments were, were going to be. Like I had an idea of the environment, but I, I, I knew that it had to be something that was true and it had to be something that first and foremost impressed me. Um, and I think that I had also reached I'm hesitant to, to say, because I don't know if I can curse on this, but you can bleep me out, but like, fuck it mode, you know? Past the point of desperation, it felt like where it was do or die. And, and in that space, I had the freedom to just create what I wanted. Did I want an agent? Sure. Did I want a book deal? Sure. But first and foremost, I wanted to write something that was exciting to me and would impress me and hopefully help other people. I find the novel interesting because it's it's also about, you know, just this this topic of sales, which is, you know, an extremely American topic. And there have been, you know, a number of notable novels that deal with the hopes and tragedy involved in sales, you know, most notably the famous death of a salesman. And it's interesting because you take a wider view of things. Your main character, Darren, says MLK, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and Frederick Douglass were all salesmen. Hell, Nina Simone, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, and every other black woman who achieved any leap of success was a saleswoman. Each and every one of these people was selling something more precious than gold, a vision. And so I'm curious, um, I guess just to, get, to dig a little deeper into your notion of sales and why you took this different angle on it. And I've also heard you refer to the novel as a type of sales manual, which I don't think I've ever heard a novel referred to as that. Yeah. Um, for, for me, I, I honestly do believe that just about everything is sales, right? Even this conversation, it's me trying to sell you on so many things at once, right? That I know what I'm talking about in terms of my book, um, that I'm a confident individual, all of these things, my perspective. So I think that in a lot of interactions, uh, passively or actively, right? Like advertising is passively selling to us. Um, or even just when you tell someone I love you, I view that as sales, 
right? I'm trying to convince you that I love you. Um, but sales is perceived to be so sleazy. It has such a bad connotation, right? And, and so much malice is embedded in it. But I think that when you take a step back and you say, what can I, what can I learn and take away from this world of sales and use in a, in a positive way to better myself, to better those I love, or even people I don't know, that it becomes um, just a tool and not a weapon. So that's what that's how I'm viewing the book as well. It's a it's a tool which could also be used as a weapon. And I employ certain devices like breaking the fourth wall, where Darren then Buck, who's actually writing this book, you know, uh, speaks directly to the reader to dispense some gem uh, of sales or, or, or life advice, all of that is on purpose so that people who are paying close attention will be able to take away some new tools to advance themselves in, in some small way or another, especially the black or brown people who read the book. Well, in closing the tale, looping back to both your beginnings as a writer and your time spent in startups, I know you took a popular concept from startups, which is fail fast and applied it to your writing. So could you tell us why failing fast has worked for you? Yeah, it, it worked for me because um, it, it's really similar to, I believe, something that Winston Churchill said, right? Where the definition of success is going from one failure to another with enthusiasm. It's the same thing as fail fast. Um, if I were to have allowed that first manuscript not you know, getting representation and not resulting in a book deal, I, I I could have just quit at that point, right? I mean, I could be in sales right now, like like a formal sales role, right? Or doing something else rather than speaking with you. So being able to be extremely honest with myself and asking if I was doing my best or if I could do better was important. And when I, when I knew that I hadn't done my best and that I could learn, learn from either a craft book, like this book, Plot and Structure, that I read by a guy named James Scott Bell, or just consume uh, a lot more art in order to see how other people create and the different uh, modes of creation and inspirations, then, you know, I, I believed that I could have improved as a writer. And from the first book to the second, I believe I did improve, even though it still didn't help me achieve my aims, you know, because my, my aims at that point were misguided. I wrote that second book explicitly to get an agent. So by the time I, I reached that point of desperation, that's when I found that freedom. And I really don't believe I would have gotten there if I would have dwelled on those past failures. And it's also important for me to note, you know, don't just forget your failure, right? Analyze it, figure out why something did or didn't work out, and then use that to just improve uh, for, the next, for the next piece of work that you're working on or, or, or anything you're dedicating yourself to. And, and it's, just, it's sort of scary to say, to even think about it, but there's an alternate world where I'm not speaking with you, but I'm working on my seventh book now. Still trying to, <laughs> still trying to write something, you know, good, right? So it doesn't always work out for anyone, but I think having, uh, having that grit is important. Thanks so much, Mateo. That's great advice. Thanks, Mateo. So happy to have you on and good luck with all of it. Same to you all. I'm excited to introduce Samir Pandya. 
who was longlisted for the Penn Open Book Award for his story collection, The Blind Writer, and he's also the recipient of a Penn Civitella Fellowship. His writing has appeared in The Atlantic, Salon, and elsewhere. He teaches at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Welcome, Samir, and congratulations on your first novel. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is a treat. And I, I want to say this is an interesting novel for many reasons, but notably because it's, it's very timely in terms of our nationwide discussion of race. And it's interesting because you place your protagonist precariously right in the middle of two sides of the debate. And I was wondering if you could tell listeners just a little bit more about what the novel is about and then what inspired you to write it. Yeah. Uh, so the novel begins uh, with a Indian American uh, man at a membership committee meeting for his tennis club, and the tennis club is, you know, is not is, is not a very diverse tennis club. And a part of his kind of mission, very quietly in being there, is to diversify the place. And um, the novel begins with a, a gaffe, in fact, that somebody else makes in relationship to the protagonist, to Raj, calls him by a different name. And with this kind of idea in mind, a African-American couple comes into the, in, in, into the interview. And he, Raj, of course, is very excited for this possibility. And, you know, I will kind of, in some ways with the plot, just stop there uh, in terms of the very bad thing that kind of comes out of his mouth in the process of this interview. And so kind of I set that as the beginning of the novel, and then there's an entirely kind of second strand of the novel. So on the, in the first strand, he is accused of being a, a racist for what he has said. And then in the second strand of the novel, which is set on a university campus where Raj teaches, he is in essence kind of accused of something very similar, right? That he is accused of being racist by a group of his white students. And so what I was trying to work through in the novel is, as you were saying, by placing Raj in this kind of precarious middle space to think through in many ways, you know, how we think about, how we talk about, how we kind of direct our conversations around race. So that's kind of where the, the, the impetus of this novel came from. And, um, you know, in a part of it, in some ways, kind of really, I had had this idea for a novel for a bit. And I think after the 2016 elections, there's a way in which kind of the question of race and the conversation of race had become so much more explicit in our public lives. And I wanted to see, I wanted to write a novel that might kind of begin to explore some of these issues with this character that's existing in this middle space. And your, your, the press materials I received hinted that there might be an autobiographical element in the novel as well. Is that true? Yeah, well, I mean, in a way, I mean, I'll say a couple of things about that, which is uh, there are ways in which parts of Raj's life overlap with mine, right? I teach at a university. I have taught at a university. I love tennis. I love all of these kind of aspects of the things that Raj likes, right? But this is ultimately a novel, and I've tried to create a certain level of distance between the kinds of things that I might do in a situation like this and the kinds of things that Raj Butt ends up doing. Now, with that said... In many ways, this novel is autobiographical in terms of 
the heartbeat, right? And what I mean by that is that the emotional tickings that I am trying to work through, the kinds of ways in which Raj is arriving at this moment of middle age, feeling like he's lost, he's feeling like he's not done the kinds of things that he wished to accomplish, right? So all of those kinds of deep kind of emotional feelings that Raj has, in some ways, I had to just kind of go into them in myself in order to kind of create that kind of rawness, right? I've written this in the first person to precisely create that rawness. So in some ways, like kind of in this particular case, it is kind of deeply autobiographical, but sometimes not for the more kind of explicit ways in which we assume that a novel is autobiographical. Mm, that's interesting. And I bet a lot of novelists can relate to that kind of layeredness of, of experience and uh, how expressly true something might be, right, versus just emotional truth and experience. So thanks. I want to turn to this fact that we're living in a Twitter-fueled age of cancel culture where people are routinely called out and honestly battered uh, online. I'm curious how you manage to keep your creativity open and playful and explorative when I imagine you might have been concerned about the possibility of touching a nerve or being misunderstood because of the subject matter you're working with. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, it's a great question, right? Like in a way, I mean, it's one of the ways in which, you know, you especially in the writing of this, you want to stay away from social media as much as possible, right? Is because I think there's in the, 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 the kinds of issues and fears I'm trying to work through in the novel, right? In some ways kind of pop up when, um, w you know, when uh, you're, you're on social media yourself, right? So that's kind of one aspect of this. But, you know, to your question about the the concerns around it, right, which is in this way, kind of the novel form helps, right, in the sense that I could, you know, explore kind of aspects of this where I could very much try to empathize with Raj and what Raj is going through, but at the same time to not protect him either, right, which is to leave him open to kind of some of the issues that he faces, that he experiences. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, I mean, the, the issue of cancel culture is very much, you know, present in my kind of life teaching at a university and being at a university for kind of the time I've been at it. But it's also in terms of a lot of the kind of thematic things that this novel is trying to work through at the same time. You know, um, Samir, you're digging obviously into a lot of, you know, difficult, serious and complex issues in this book, but there's, there's a great deal of humor here as well. And so I'm curious, um, why did you find that a humorous style was good for this, this topic? Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because you don't, well, let me say this, which is when you start off or when I started off wanting to write a novel, right, which is there's such a kind of a, a seriousness about the word novel itself, right? In the sense that you want to feel like you are dealing with issues in a grave and serious manner, right? And that's, I, I'm hoping that I've treated these issues in a grave and serious manner. And so that's point number one. The, the, the second aspect of this is, you know, I didn't necessarily see myself as kind of someone who writes humorous fiction or my, I didn't see myself as being funny. There's a way in which once this kind of novel started, 
And once I got into and got comfortable with Raj's voice, some of that stuff just seemed to kind of finally arrive. Now, there are all sorts of ways one can write about our racial moment right now, right? In a way that there's no, you know, there is the very serious, the historically minded, you know, I I loved Get Out when Get Out came, came out, right? And it was Jordan Peele dealing with these issues through the horror genre, right? So there's all sorts of various ways. There's a certain level of absurdity of what's going on in this book, right? And because of that absurdity, humor seemed like the best way to approach it, right? That it was, in a way, the thing that felt most natural with Raj, but at the same time, it felt like the best kind of method I had to dealing with what is, you know, otherwise a very, very serious topic. Well, as a final question, uh, I'd just like to ask if you have any tips for our future debut authors who are listening or anything you would have done differently in retrospect, you know, whether it's either on the writing side or the publishing side. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, it is, um, I know people talk a lot about voice, right? And kind of finding your voice and it's it's a kind of a subject that we talk about, you know, often. And I think maybe the, the, the piece of advice I would give is to allow yourself the room for that voice to arrive when it arrives. And unfortunately, it is simply not going to arrive when you want it to, right? And I think this piggybacks in some ways to the earlier kind of conversation or the earlier question that you had about kind of if, if this is the first novel that I've written, that I think that there is a way in which it sometimes comes very quickly. And I see, some, I see it in my students, right? And I can see that they have just arrived at it very fast and they are very fortunate. And sometimes it, it, it doesn't arrive that quickly. And I think that it's hard in a world where, you know, you're seeing things constantly on social media, right? You're seeing people succeeding, people getting book deals, all of this wonderful stuff that is happening to people, you know, and deservedly so, right? And I think that what it does is it makes you feel like their timeline should be your timeline. And, you know, I can say all of this, right? Like, which is, these are all these kind of abstract things to say. When you're feeling it, you're feeling it, right? It feels like, why isn't this working right now? Why is this, I, I should be doing this in a different way. But I, I just, you know, for someone who is, um, you know, publishing his debut novel kind of into his 40s, late into his 40s, uh, sometimes it just comes at a different time. And it, it, and it, it just comes when it comes. That's great advice. I love it comes when it comes. <laughs> so thank you so much, Samir, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, such a pleasure, Samir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both, Grant and Brooke, for having me. I really appreciate it. Again, thanks, everyone. We hope you're enjoying your summer and that you enjoyed listening to or revisiting these episodes. We have some really exciting special new guests coming up starting September 6th as we enter our fourth year of Right-Minded, believe it or not. So while you're enjoying your summer, maybe also tell a friend about us help us continue to spread the word. 
In fact, Brooke, didn't we say that we were going to give a brand new BMW to whoever spreads the word the furthest? Yes, we totally said that, but we might have to downgrade it to like a CRV just because it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, please go for it. Spread the word. Thank you so much. And remember that we are in your feed all August and then for the rest of 2021 and then for the rest of 2022. Forever. And we're extremely grateful for your listenership. Happy summer, everyone. <laughs>